Well, good morning, everyone. Good Monday morning to you, December 13, 2021. This is DC Signal to Noise. I'm Davis Michelson in for Chip Flory. As always, Jim Wiesmeyer, Washington correspondent and uh, policy OG, joins us. Jim, you're looking well. Good morning. Thank you. I just I got back uh, late Thursday uh, from four speeches last week. Uh, rice oh grow, rice growers, uh, Compere Crop Insurance, National Grain and Feed, and Mindac, and I had a great time at all of them. Rob. Well, I want to pick your brain just a little bit because you've done an awful lot of traveling uh, recently, and I know that you you've sort of had your finger on the pulse of what farmers are thinking about what what uh, what's going on out in rural America. And so I want to address some of that first. Um, you know, hearts, hearts, thoughts, prayers go out to those impacted by the storms uh, over the last couple of days. Just unbelievable devastation, Jim. I tell you, in about 2005, I believe it was a, a town very near here yes. was struck by a tornado and just absolutely flattened. Um, they were able to rebuild, but what what a terrible tragedy! This is not the kind of headline we like to see. No, and I remember seeing that. I happened to be in Iowa at the time, and it, it was mm -hmm. just a absolutely horrible. Now, uh, uh, President Biden's going to be briefed on it today, and I think he's going to go there. You know, any president hesitates going too soon because they bring an avalanche of people, and he doesn't, sure. you know, he uh, you know just doesn't want to disrupt, you know, things. But I've already heard that they're going to investigate. Maybe there could have been better warnings on that, so... Uh, I think you're going to see some follow-on items on that. Okay. Okay. Well, once again, our thoughts and prayers go out to those good folks. Uh, Jim, both the House and the, uh, the Senator in session this week. What could go wrong? <laughs> They're hearing the jingle bell sounds, and that's usually <laughs> signs of progress, uh, at least for most items. You're going to have final uh, approval of the increase in the debt limit today, first in the Senate and then in the House. That should be done by Wednesday. I think Tuesday uh, in the Senate and Wednesday in the House. So check that one off. Uh, of, uh, of note will be what level, what is the actual level of the debt limit that they choose. It should get them through the 2022 elections, you know, Davis. And then the other uh, big one is whether or not there'll be any progress on the Build Back Better proposal. They haven't even released it yet. They're still actually writing it because it'll be significantly different than what passed in the uh, House. President uh, Biden, I think today is going to meet with the key person that has to vote in favor of it to get it through, and that's Joe Manchin, centrist, you know, Democrat from West Virginia. And uh, we'll have to see. But boy, with that inflation report last uh, week, that's going to give him more ammo to have what he calls a strategic pause. And that's why I headlined my, my item this morning, uh, Jingle Bell Block. What uh, what would Manchin have populate that pause? What what's what's the pause for? What's he what's he wrangling for? What's the idea here? Well, he thinks that if with all this uh, funding that's embodied in the bill, and we had an interesting Congressional Budget Office report requested by Republicans late last week. Actually, it was at the suggestion to Republicans of Manchin to uh, to uh, estimate what's the real cost of BBB if there's permanent 
programs uh, because a number of these programs, if not most of them, end uh, so they could limit the cost of this bill. And it added three a trillion more dollars to the package. So that's what really has Manchin concerned at a time in which you're already face, you know, facing the highest inflation in, what, 39 years. He doesn't right. want to add fuel to the fire, especially this pumping out a lot of funding while needed in some areas. Uh, he's really concerned. So he wants to, what he calls the strategic pause. He wants to see if it's really needed. Okay. Well, the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, uh, last week also issued a cost estimate for the Ag Committee section of Build Back Better. What do you make of this? Well, they, they added two more billion of dollars in the conservation you know, program area for technical assistance. And that probably makes sense, believe it or not, because with all the money, I think, what, $28 billion for conservation spending that's in that measure, they, they found out that they actually needed more troops on the ground for technical assistance in order to implement the conservation programs embodied in that bill, Davis. So uh, that's a chunk of money, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of money. That's why people call it a mini farm bill. Let's loop back to that word inflation that you used just a little bit earlier. Um, Biden administration attempting to manage some expectations um, ahead of the consumer's report. And now we've got Janet Yellen in the memo last night, I believe it was. Yes. Uh, you know, at one point, OK, inflation is no longer transitory. That was sort of the, the big news of, of the last couple of weeks, last week in particular. And now Yellen says there's there's not a lot to worry about here with inflation. <laughs> and Biden, too, is saying if you pass the BBB, that'll help lower the cost. And that's 180 degrees from what the fear of Senator Manchin is. So, uh, you know, Yellen was wrong on transitory uh, inflation, and so was our Fed chairman. And they're going to be wrong on this one, too, although we may be seeing the peak of inflation right now, but that doesn't mean it's the end of inflation. I think this is going to linger for probably six months or so because we still have uh, the logistic, you know, snafus and and uh, fertilizer price run ups, uh, etc. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's hard to make uh, very smart people. Janet Yellen and Fed Chairman Jerome J. Powell look so bad, but and we're going to see the consequences of them. Um, uh, being wrong on inflation uh, this Wednesday, Ron, because that's when we have the Federal Open Market Committee, and they'll have a press conference, they'll have Fed updated Fed projections, and we're going to see how much they accelerate the tapering, that's the, the buying okay. of the bonds, etc. And we're going to see if they change the timeline for when they're going to start raising interest rates. So it's going to be an important week this week from a monetary perspective. This as lumber prices spike back up above $1,000 for the first time since, was it mid-June, I believe, right? Yes, because they had gone down, what, 50 yes. to 70 percent, but they yeah. were still way above. So that's called volatility, by the way, okay. when, they're, when they're doing like like that. We're, we're not out of the woods yet. It, it's, uh, uh, they're, they're increasing, uh, companies are increasingly passing along their cost. All right. And let me just say, viewers, we are super glad to have you with us on this Monday morning. And you can um, enter your questions into the comments section if you've got a topic that you would like to uh, 
run past Jim Wiesmeyer and uh, and we'll get to it right away. But as we said at the top, Jim, you've been traveling an awful lot. Um, what would you say are the, the top three items on farmers' minds as you make your way across the countryside? Wherever I went last week, New Orleans to the uh, Good Rice Grower meetings and then to National Grain and Feed and then to the Mindac mm -hmm. meeting in Fargo, uh, it was fertilizer prices, uh, you know, Davis and the cost price squeeze. Uh, <clears throat> what farmers uh, are doing about it, what they can do about it. Is there anything the government can do to help out from uh, maybe I was told uh, uh, for uh, if, if so many, I know corn producers are holding off uh, purchasing fertilizer until they see what the market outlook and the supply outlook is going to be early next year. That could add to the problems, Davis. And this is why I think USDA is looking into working uh, with other agencies to maybe expedite, expedite the delivery of fertilizer, uh, you know, next year and maybe lower the delivery, uh, you know, capabilities for other products such as coal. But mm -hmm. where, again, wherever I went, this is uh, uh, the, the number one topic right now. Then I also found out that Texas A&M University economists are doing a report for a lawmaker and a commodity group. And it looks to, and that's going to be out any day now, they said. Uh, I don't know what it's going to embody, uh, maybe what, what the government could do, uh, you know, what is the situation. But, you know, history tells me, and, and you know this, uh, your topic, uh, fertilizer prices correlate uh, fairly well with the corn price. Now, I'm not saying it's one for one. But uh, this is why some lawmakers are saying, you know, uh, uh, why do you need a, a payout to help defray the cost of fertilizer when the corn price, wheat price, uh, milo price, et cetera, and cotton ha have gone up? Uh, but that's not the case with rice. I did find out that last week. They, they're looking longingly at the price run-up for these other commodities, but they're basically holding steady to a year before. So they're really feeling the pinch. Yeah. Well, and I, I would go back to something that has occurred to me. I mean, last time we saw fertilizer prices this high, um, in fact, not even this high, corn was cash corn, seven bucks at the elevator here in town. And, yeah. and here we are, mid fives, mid to high fives, call it. So it's not as correlated, but but it's it's hopefully getting there. Uh, hopefully. You also told me last week when I called on your console that it takes a while for them to come down. And that mm -hmm. was a question a number of farmers were telling me. And I know Dr. Outlaw, Texas A&M economist, uh, you know, very good economist, told the crowd uh, that uh, fertilizer prices are a lot like an elevator. They go up very fast, but, mm. when, but they go down not so fast. And I that's think you would agree. Right. Yes, that's been my observation as well. Once we finally do hit a peak, we can be looking at two to three years of decline, you know, nice and easy, slow decline. What do they say on Seinfeld? Like an old man uh, easing himself into a warm bath type yes. of a situation. I literally know that. <laughs> <laughs> you must have heard from someone else. I, I would assume, assume too. 
Uh, farmland values as well must have been a topic of conversation. Very much so. Again, wherever I went, uh, North Dakota has had fairly significant increases over the last 12 months. Now, depending, of course, on the on the quality of the ground. But I heard a couple $10,000 an, mm-hmm. an acre. And I told them jokingly, I mean, who do you think you are, Illinois? You know, of <laughs> course, you'd have to double that. But if you have quality ground, it is really, uh, you know, going for a good price. And they told me, there was more land initially brought onto the market because farmers feared uh, the end of stepped-up basis. Again, mm-hmm. you're probably hearing this. And now with that off off the schedule, I think you're going to see a lot of acres uh, not show up. And, and that's seasonal anyway, right? Sure. You know, yes, December through we're, February. I think we're headed for a slow period here. And I'm also of the mind, too, that given the imbalance between inputs and, and crop prices that the farmers are going to maybe even bring in some some lower quality land. They got to get every kernel of corn, every soybean, every every grain of wheat off of their ground that they can, and that might tighten up some of those hands and just keep keep some support under the land market for a while anyway. Well, and then I was also told that you know this is why I love going out because you you begin to see some very good items to, uh, incubate, and one of them is when a really sharp farmers came up to me and they said, you know, with this both renewable diesel, which is really an important subject out there, mm-hmm. and the growing linkage of agriculture, of farmland conservation, and whatever with the uh, you know you, you know with the carbon markets, uh, they're sensing that farmland, that'll add even more thrust to farmland values. And I think they're spot on. Carbon markets are an interesting topic of conversation as well. Is there interest out there among the, uh, the farming community? They have the same question marks I'll, I do. How do you measure it? How do you price it? And I told them those are spot on. And until they're told the answers, be very leery of what you sign uh, any contracts on. But uh, the, the focus is there, not only in the U.S., but around the world, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Davis. Yeah, I want to go back to one other thing on fertilizer prices. Yes. I told them as a beat reporter in the late 70s and early 80s, I don't forget how we literally drove uh, most of our our domestic fertilizer business out of this country with mm-hmm. regulations and other aspects. And that's come home to roost right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know what? Here, I want to ask you about this. Let's widen our view just a little bit because um, I want to separate the signals from the noise here. Yeah. Let's start. Let's start with Russia because you had mentioned that some of these farmers were a little bit concerned, or at least keeping an eye on the Russia situation, amassing troops at the Ukrainian border. Jim, we've seen this before, and then they sort of back away, and nothing comes of it. Um, uh, it seems like a pretty sizable force is being set up along the border there. Um, do we see movement here or is this another just sort of show of force? We'll rattle the sabers and then we're all going to go home. Well, it's a big rattling of the sabers. Uh, they're yes. right about, they're approaching 100,000 troops right now. Our intelligence services in the USA about 125,000 in January. I think that's more than a bluff. Uh, the farmers I talked with asked me, uh, what's the market impact if they were to go in? And 
they thought that it would be bullish corn. And the interesting thing on that is because Ukraine sells uh, China a lot of corn, and they may be right in the short term if that were to happen. So there's always a market impact of anything, you know, geopolitically. But uh, um, this shows that unless you have a strong defense and are consistent in your signals around the world, people like Putin can test you. And that's mm -hmm. what's happening right now. Now, over the weekend, the group of seven, uh, you know, defense, uh, you know, ministers, if you will, gave a, a statement to Russia saying there will be massive retaliation on sanctions if Russia were to go in. So this is high stakes right now. And yes. what Putin wants is he wants a declaration from NATO that uh, Ukraine will never be a member of NATO. And that's something that they cannot mm -hmm. and should not do, by the way. So it's something you got to well, you know, watch. I think it's it's Putin's long-held thing that he wants to get back to as much as possible the old Soviet Union. And if he were to take over Ukraine, then he'd look at the Baltic states. You know, so he won't stop from there. Uh, so, right. so it, it is an important topic. We really don't know what Putin's going to do. We didn't think he would go and take the Crimea, and he right. did. So, yeah, he and did. that was because what in 2014. He thought that at that time, President Obama was was not as forceful. So at least this time, I think Biden is saying the right things right now. And our allies, uh, Germany, et cetera, are, are, are saying the right things right now. And this could affect energy markets because I don't think Germany has officially announced that they would end it. But Nord Stream 2 that mm -hmm. that natural gas pipeline that Putin is using as leverage so he can shut it off and then that would dramatically escalate the energy prices in Europe, specifically Germany. This is high stakes stuff, Davis. Yep. Well, and meanwhile, we've got jets streaking over Taiwan uh, from China. That's another hot spot. More saber rattling here or I mean, and here's the thing, Jim, they've got the Olympics coming up. The games of goodwill, of international brotherhood, of athletes and sport and uh, good vibes in February. They can't do anything before that. Certainly well, not. Well, I don't know. And they won't do anything prior to maybe the middle of next year. This is according to uh, Pro Farmers China Watchers. Reason, uh, it'll take until the middle of next year for Xi Jinping, their leader, to get the next okay, literally, and I'm paraphrasing him here, to be dictator for life. Once he gets that, Mm -hmm. Then our, at least two of the three China watchers that, that we consult with uh, are saying uh, the, the up the odds that China will take some action to, quote, deal with Taiwan. The reason they think, uh, rightly or wrongly, that the, Biden, that the U.S., especially the Biden administration, is weak in the defense area. And so uh, Xi Jinping, as China's leader, has said he does not want another generation left to have to deal with Taiwan. So that's why I hope our China watchers are wrong. But they say between now and the 2024 presidential elections, China is going to deal with Taiwan. Well, sure. Um, OK, so this sort of raises a, a big question in my mind. You've got trouble between Ukraine and Russia. You've got trouble between China and Taiwan. There, it even sounds to me like, like it's heating up between Iran and Israel. Um, Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, these are, 
don't know if you would, if I guess you would call them allies. Um, these are, are nations that the this administration and others have pledged to defend. And now we're looking at a, a, a triple threat. Yes. And history shows that it only takes a minor mistake to really mm -hmm. cause big problems. So let's hope that's not the case. That's why I, I think Biden was right to get Putin on the phone uh, last week. To, and he recently talked with uh, you know, Xi Jinping. Uh, yeah, so these these are the things that you really see before a major conflict unfolds. Again, I hope nothing happens, but this is, again, right. tremendous geopolitical uh, uh, heady stuff. Um, we should move on from this, but, but just quickly, is this the sort of situation where um, if something pops off in one area, take, for example, Putin goes ahead and invades Ukraine, does that open the door for China? Does that accelerate what they want to do? Does that open the door for Iran to make a move on Israel? Does, you know, does it all sort of cave in once that initial step is taken or, or do they come at it separately at three different times? History would say that within a year, those things could happen. Yeah. That would, mm -hmm. that would show uh, that we're on the move for a lot, a lot of negative things. So, so this is why this is so important to keep, you know, people and, and countries, uh, uh, at bay. And and we also have to, we're in the, the world is in the process of delinking to a degree from China. You know, I wrote a story this morning just on critical minerals. Uh, China controls oh, yes. a lot of those critical mi minerals. And believe it or not, the United States has to import most, not just a little, most of our critical minerals. Now, why is that important? Cars and electric vehicles. Electric vehicles use 456 pounds per car, electric vehicle. A regular average gasoline car uses, uh, you know, uh, you know, uses 75 pounds of minerals. So, uh, you know, the, the, your lithium, by, by that I mean lithium, nickel, and other critical you know, minerals, of course, they're also used to produce steel. So you can mm -hmm. see the significance here. And, and before we came on the program, uh, Davis, you and I discussed Afghanistan. Here, yes. we, we, Afghanistan has a lot of these minerals in the ground. And when we left, uh, skirted out of that country, who do you think came in and is already starting to develop some of those critical minerals? China. Mm -hmm. China. Mm -hmm. So this, you're going to have a, their next super supply chain problem is going to be critical minerals. Now, we're taking some action to develop some of that ourselves in this country and elsewhere, but that takes up to 10 years to truly sure. develop. The question came in, does China or uh, does Russia or China perceive the U.S. as being especially weak with Democratic House and Senate and they want to move before the GOP takes over Jan 1, 2023? I think you've sort of answered that to some degree. It's a situation better the dove you know than the dove you don't, Jim. Uh, Absolutely. You're, you're correct. I mean, I don't like to see this. That's why I do not like to see a president's approval ratings as low as they are, because right. the dastardly nations around the world, Russia, Iran, North Korea, China, uh, foment 
th some things. So yes, this is uh, where any perceived, uh, whether it's right or wrong, perceived sign of weakness, a uh, president and country is going to be tested. And China wants no part of any odds that Trump's going to come back into power in 2024. Mm. So that's right. what I hear from our China watchers. So yes, this is heady stuff. We've been watching the supply chain debacle. Just a little minute ago, you said a phrase I don't think I've heard anyone say, super supply chain problems. Super supply chain problems, Jim. Because that's, miner that's critical minerals. So just take the mm -hmm. word critical equals mm -hmm. super. And mm -hmm. it's uh, these minerals are in a potpourri of important products for this great country. So we better get our act together. You might you you may ask where was the leadership at all ends? Uh, you know, Congress, uh, executives from both Republican and Democrat administrations. You know, when I first came to town in the mid 70s, you have strategic thinkers. Uh, I mean, just think look at the uh, at the statesman who just you you know, recently passed away, the great guy, Senator Bob Dole. He had strategy. He was a strategic mm -hmm. thinker, but we don't have that much anymore. And you can see it in the uh, uh, in in the climate change debate. They, th this country and other countries, we're not alone. We want to go from A to Z right away. And there's all this, these steps in the middle that you have to rely on natural gas. And you have to rely on, on a lot of other things before you can get to that promised land that they want to get to of low carbon. Mm -hmm. Jim, do you foresee a future... You know, everybody keeps talking about this new normal, getting back to normal, with implying that this is not normal. Um, do you foresee a future when the White House, when the whole Washington political scene will ever be a civil place again? I mean, partisanship aside, however people fall along that continuum, I think really what people want to see is things getting done. That strategy that you talked about yeah. would be really great for the rest of us to be able to get a hold of and feel like our leadership has a, has a direction and a plan of, of how to get there. And a lot of it goes back to the bickering back and forth, the partisan yes. politics. Um, I'm asked that a lot during my speeches, and yeah. I'm ready for the answer now. It's, yes, it can happen. Uh, yeah. Soon, no. But whenever a political party becomes truly minority party, with that they can't come back into power the next election. Now let's have some examples. They're they're both chambers are both very close, and that's why you have the the fisticuffs almost mm -hmm. uh, either between parties and even intra-party. You know that they're fighting amongst themselves. But look at the House. David Wasserman, a House editor for the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter, told me recently his pre prediction is after the 2022 elections, Republicans who need a net gain of five seats will garner anywhere from 20 to 50. Now, if it's 50, and that's not out of hand based on wow. history, if it's 50, that's the at least the onset of, uh-oh, once out of office, the, the last time the Democrats lost the House, it took them 10 years to regain it. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. But the Senate is still going to be very close. So it's going to take a few other elections to even if the Republicans were to regain control of the Senate in 2022, 
2024, there's more Democrats in the Senate up for re-election. So it's going to take a while there. But I truly think at some juncture, a political party is going to go so far out of touch that the American public, who is pretty smart, is going to significantly vote them out of office. And we may be seeing that as the case in the House first and maybe the Senate later. That's assuming if the Republicans do get in, they won't overreach. And history right. shows you right. they can overreach with the best of them as well. So at sure. least that's what I tell people. There's hope for the future, but you really have to have the two political parties not as close where they can come back in the next election. Jim, time's getting away from us. We're horribly short on time. Can I get about 30, 40 seconds sure. on uh, what, what you'll be looking at for the rest of the week? Oh, well, the rest of the week, we're going to have the end of the debt limit. As I said before, we're going to see the uh, uh, the the how the meetings go with Senator uh, Manchin at the White House today. And he's also going to meet with centrist uh, Democrats on a on a election reform bill. I heard some odd things that the Democrats could get very creative in getting this out of the Senate. I don't see how they get past the 60 vote filibuster, but you know, you know, you know, this town is surprising. And on Wednesday, as I said, the Federal Reserve has a very important FOMC meeting, new projections from the Fed, and also a presser, as we call it, a press conference by Fed Chairman Powell. And we're going to see if they're significantly going to accelerate uh, the tapering, and we're going to see if they change their uh, assumptions now of when the interest rates are going to start rising. So that's that's pretty important stuff for this week. For agriculture, no, it's kind of boring time. We're watching the international supply. Will it rain in southern Brazil? That, that's okay. your key topic right there in agriculture right now. And you need another uh, bullet, if you will, for the to get corn futures over that $6 resistance area. Uh, you also need uh, some impetus to get, uh, you know, soybean futures over resistance of $13. And in the case of wheat, it still has some running room, but boy, we're not exporting much U.S. wheat because of our price run up here. So uh, it, it, what you just heard me say, if you have any wheat, uh, you might want to price some. You can never go bankrupt making money. Well, Jim, I feel like I could talk to you all day about these and uh, and not get tired, but uh, I'm afraid the constraints of time prohibit that indulgence. We'll have to pick it up another time. Uh, we will. From, uh, Washington, from Washington, uh, Jim Wiesmeyer, thank you for spending some time with us this morning on DC Signal to Noise. I'm Davis Michelson in for Chip Flory, and we'll keep watching for the signals. Have a great week, everyone.